0: Likely, if you're raising boys, they've already been injured. Today, we're discussing how to keep your children safe from injury and accidents. Stay tuned. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co host Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net, And I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being our listeners. And thank you for supporting our sponsors.
2: Injury is the leading cause of death for people ages 1 to 44, especially for children. For kids ages 1 to 14 in the U.S., injuries cause more deaths than the next 10 leading causes of death combined. And guess what? At every age, males are more likely than females to die of injury. Largely because they're more likely to experience injury and the injuries they experience are more likely to be serious injuries. Listeners, you may know this. I have four sons. <laughs> we have already had two broken collarbones, a broken thumb, a significant second-degree burn, a nail in a foot, and multiple fishing lures in hands keeping boys safe is a top of mind concern for parents especially moms and we realize it's not one that we've talked about directly here before on the podcast so today that changes joining us is david Schwabel, a psychologist and director of the youth safety lab at the university of alabama birmingham David is also a dad, and he is the author of Raising Kids Who Choose Safety. Welcome, David.
1: Oh, thank you. It's nice to be here.
2: All right. I got to say this straight up. The title of your book makes me giggle a little bit because probably my kids are now teens and young adults, and I am fully aware of the limits of my ability to make them choose anything. (laughs) And because raising kids who choose safety seems like such a high bar when there's the rest of the world. So what's realistic in terms of kids choosing safety?
1: We want kids and teens and when they become adults to choose safety without stopping to take risks. It's fine to have fun. It's fine to push the limits sometimes.
0: On dirt bikes and snowmobiles, as Jen's kids often do, thus the broken collarbones. Oh,
1: well, (laughs) we we might want to come back to that. But yes, let me add the caveat, which is we want our kids to learn when that risk might lead to a broken collarbone Mm -hmm. and to stop and think and say, yeah, I can ride the snowmobile and I can ride it fast and I can ride it up and down hills and I can have fun. But you know what? When I go around the turn, I'm going to slow down and I'm also not going to do it after drinking and I'm going to wear my helmet.
2: That is so great. And unfortunately, Janet, we've talked about this personally and we've talked about it on the podcast. There are so many kids. A lot of them seem to be boys who you can say it, you can say it, you can say it, and they don't get it until it happens to them. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say, um, and I promise this whole thing's not going to be about dirt biking, Absolutely. Helmets, nobody ever argued about that. They all have on their helmets. They all have on their boots. I will say this, since the accidents happened and they know that some of their other friends had accidents, my children, now teenagers, young adults, they are independently purchasing more safety gear.
1: It is possible to learn. It is possible to change. And I will readily admit as an injury prevention expert yes mistakes will still be made but our goal is to reduce injuries we're never going to stop every single injury even us thoughtful parents occasionally get nicks and cuts right
2: i had a pretty serious thumb sprain which sounds stupid but it was highly painful it very much interrupted my work my life my ability to function and i mean i'm a pretty smart adult but i was hiking and there was ice and I overestimated my ability to navigate something. So Mm -hmm. yes, adults make mistakes too.
1: We do, and our goal is to reduce risk, to choose safety, to choose the safer decision and to help our children learn how to do that.
2: You mentioned right at the beginning, we have to help our kids find this balance between being aware of, of the risks of injury so that they can take action to mitigate those and make choices. Balancing that with the risks of trying things, stretching your horizons. Let's dig into that part, because I think that is extremely challenging for families to navigate.
1: You're right. So let's start with the trying things. The only way children can grow is to try new things. The only way you're ever going to ride a bicycle is to take that first pedal without someone balancing for you. Right you're gonna drive a car is to turn the ignition the first time so everything we learn in life we got to do for the first time and part of developing the natural process of a child growing means they have to try new things the second part is how do we let them try new things without hurting themselves so i like to use an example on the playground so all of us most of us have had our children try the monkey bars right they're hanging from the bars and they're trying to go one after the other
2: I forgot to mention the broken arm and the monkey bar incident. (laughs) That was my youngest. He was in first grade. And, you know, you talk about stretching your your capability. He was a pretty capable monkey bar climber, but he decided to try and go from this one, like four over.
1: Uh (laughs) What I recommend in that sort of situation is for parents to be like a gymnastics coach and spot your child, right? I'll do it, but stand nearby so you can catch them, and they may get a bump or a bruise, but not a broken arm if they slip. Right. And that's a subtle difference. Some parents will stand back and watch. What I recommend is we we encourage our children, try this risk, learn what you can and can't do, and be there to catch their fall if they slip and reduce that broken arm to a minor little injury.
2: You know what I love about that is... My personal observation, it seems like a lot of people in their appropriate concern for safety, it's easier to just say, no, don't do that, right? If the kid doesn't go on the monkey bar, they are not going to get a broken arm or a concussion from falling off the monkey bar. It is a lot easier to say no. It's much more time consuming to say yes, and now I have to be there while I make sure that this kid is learning and can navigate it until the point where... He is confident enough, and I am confident enough in his abilities that I can sit on the bench while he does the monkey bars.
0: Well, and I want to point out, too, the difference between moms and dads in situations like this that moms, in general, over my 20 years of working with parents, moms tend to err on the side of safety. Don't climb that tree. Don't go on that monkey bar or hovering a little bit too much. It's a fine balance. And dads tend to be the ones of like, yeah, climb that tree. Yeah, try those monkey bars. And so what I do is encourage moms, if you're uncertain, if you're feeling anxious about your child climbing that tree, Ask a man, ask a dad, like, how, you know, what's your risk assessment here? And typically dads will be the ones that be like, yeah, try it. But the thing is, it's like, it's a continuum. And I think it's so much about helping our child trust their bodies. So that requires a lot of movement and a lot of, you know, being out in nature and climbing over those uneven rocks. And and as you said, like making those mistakes a little bit, but also being adventurous and willing to try and encouraged by the adults around them with this measure of
1: of watchfulness that you're talking about. I love it. I think your distinction between moms and dads is right at generalizing a little, but that is the typical pattern, mm-hmm. and I absolutely agree. You know, I sometimes like to, to say I am anti-bubble wrap. Mm-hmm. I don't agree that we need to bubble wrap. We, we, we can't always say no. We need to allow our children to grow and try things, but we need to do it safely. Mm-hmm. I work with a group in Scandinavia, and they, they encourage this outdoor climbing on rocks and climbing trees, and they very much push it. And that's kind of in the more extreme level, but they see success, and they see the children grow, and they're kind of the outdoors Norwegian-type mm-hmm. culture, and it works wonderfully. And their kids grow up safely and typically to be a little more adventurous and take risks in all aspects of life.
0: And you talk about um, your Tams method, which I want to get into. But as as we're talking about those Scandinavian kids and that safety and outdoors, I'm—I'll say it, Jen's tired of hearing me talk about my grandson. But
2: no, um, I was going to ask you to bring him up. (laughs) Janet's got a a grandson who just turned one, David. So you know, I mean, safety. You know, we're talking about a kid. He is just learning how to walk and explore the world, and. Top of mind concern, right, Janet? Yeah,
0: yeah. but the thing they have done since he started crawling since he started moving around that is so remarkable because he learned it so quickly and is consistent no matter where we are, is feet first. So feet first down the step, feet first off the couch where you know, wherever he is. And now we can just sit back and we trust that he's going to, go feet first and he does every single time because that's what he's been taught and modeled and that's what he does it's embedded in him now
1: what a great example and and I'm going to highlight one piece of that there's so many good things there but one key piece that I take from that is children can learn even age one 12 months old they can learn safety now you're not going to teach them 50 rules but you can choose very <laughs> carefully a couple of rules like feet first, and they can learn and practice and do it. Mm-hmm.
2: And even before, I mean, you know, he's not talking back. He's not communicating with his parents. He's not even understanding everything that they're saying. But that two words, simple role modeling. Tell us about your TAMS method, David. How does that fit into TAMS? What does that stand for first? And then let's use that example to break it down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So TAMS, T-A-M-S, is, is our method to help children choose safety. The T stands for teach. So we teach our children basic skills. So in that example, we teach Bo to go feet first, right? Feet first off the couch, off the, uh, down the stairs, and so forth. And we teach that lesson. If we're dealing with an 8 or a 10 or a 12-year-old, we're teaching much more advanced skills, mm-hmm. crossing the street, riding your bicycle, whatever it might be. A stands for act. This is the parent's actions. And I like to divide it into the two S's. So the A divides into two S's. S number one is to supervise. And that's hard. That gets at our example Mm -hmm. of the monkey bars. You need to supervise. You can't be on your phone on the playground. You gotta be spotting and helping, right? Supervision is hard, very time consuming, but also very important.
2: And I I want to give a shout out to parents because supervision is hard and you're human you cannot supervise well every moment as a parent you know that you can have your especially if you have more than one kid you have your eyes on one kid somebody else cries in the second you turn to go look at this one something happens to the other one parents we do the best that we can
1: I stated i absolutely agree and that leads into the other s which is safeguard so supervise and safeguard and safeguard kind of provides a backup when our supervision is distracted okay. and not perfect right so safeguard for our one-year-old, maybe putting outlet covers on the outlet, putting a stair gate up. Okay, you probably know a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but safeguarding extends up to much older children too, right?
2: Safeguarding with teenagers right now. For instance, mm-hmm. my
1: mm-hmm.
2: husband hunts. So we um, have guns. Mm-hmm. They are in a gun safe.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. That's,
2: a, that's a safeguard. That's not one I'm willing to compromise on. Um, other safeguards for teens can be things like Uh, frankly, keeping your liquor Mm -hmm. locked up and out of the way. Um, if you get pain pills, I mean, so many of us, somebody at some point is going to have surgery, have a chronic injury. You may have opioids prescribed appropriately in the house, store those inaccessible from your teenagers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Those are just chances that you don't need to
0: don't want to take.
1: Agree. And it's hard to admit. We all think our kids aren't going to touch it.
0: Oh man, <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> we were teens once, David. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we could, and you That's know what I it. tell parents? Like, <laughs> even if you
2: think your kid's not going to do it, do you trust your kid's friends? There <laughs> I mean, you go. <laughs> if you need to to frame it as I can't trust my kids' friends to not touch or find this stuff, whatever you have to tell yourself, lock it up, keep it away.
1: So the T is for teach. The A is for act, and that divides into our two S's of supervision and safeguard. M is next, Hams. M is next, and M stands for modeling. It means we model safety ourselves. And this gets hard too. Parenting isn't easy. But let me tell you a story. This, this is back when seatbelts uh, were first being used regularly. And the, and the researchers were studying what causes kids, when they start driving, what's the best predictor? of the child using a seatbelt when they start driving
2: whether their parents buckle up consistently every single time
1: if mom and dad buckle up kids buckle up and that is to me the beautiful research and it applies everywhere helmets keeping the stairs clean of junk on the floor that you might trip on the list could go on and on and on whatever you do your kids are watching
2: as you know as a psychologist it goes through everything parents not even just the basic safety stuff that we're talking about this moment but all the things that your kids tell you especially when they're teens you know you think they're not listening to you and they're not but they're watching how you interact with other people they're watching how you treat people do you treat people with respect because if you don't all your words about treat people with respect don't matter do you drink in moderation? Or do you overdo it all the time? Like kids see these things and research has consistently proven over and over again and again and again and again. And the older I get, the more I think that this is the most powerful thing that we do as parents. We lead by example, whether we're conscious of it or not. So let's pay attention to ourselves.
1: It is so powerful. You're absolutely right. And it helps our kids learn to choose safety if we choose safety.
0: Teach, act, model, and we'll get to the S of the TAMS method after these messages from our sponsors.
2: I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits, and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out, and you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute. Put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoir a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit style slash envoys. That's armoir.style, A R M O I R E, dot style/slash on boys to get 50 percent off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again try armoire today what is S? s
1: s is for shape and shape i think is the hardest one to conceptualize so shaping is is literally shaping like a piece of clay our children are growing and we are manipulating and influencing and one of our key pieces to shaping is through rules, we said. So Mm. go back to Bo, feet first, right? That was a rule Mm -hmm. that he learned as a young child, and that will apply as he grows older. Rules are difficult for parents because we need to be consistent, not just within one parent, but among all adults, including grandma and grandpa and aunt and uncle and babysitter and whoever is involved. We need our rules and we need to fit consistently the rules and children need to learn them and follow them. And we need to shape our children through those rules.
2: You mentioned it. I wanted to come around to it, but you mentioned it. Consistency, it's important. It matters. And there is not infrequently, I would say more often, more commonly than not, there is disagreement within families about how strict or stringent to be on some of these rules. Even when it comes to modeling within a family, right? You may have one parent who's like, Yes, we we all of us in the family need to put on a helmet whenever we ride our bikes. And we may have another parent going, We never did that. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. How do we navigate these things, David?
1: I wish I had a magic solution. Wave <laughs> the wand and, and parents always agree. No marriage is always gonna have perfect agreement. No p- parent parenting arrangement is going to have perfect agreement. But there need to be compromises, there need to be discussions, and there need to be resolutions. And I know it's easy for me to say that, it's harder to practice it, but the more that parents can do to work on to achieve that consistency, the the more it's gonna help your children be safe and and, and help your children grow in, in the way you want them to develop.
0: Well, and shout out to the parents who are parenting in two different homes. And that can be really tough too. For you know, the mom can't see what's happening at divorced dad's house. And so, you know, back to hopefully there can be discussion and compromise and conversation about it, but it can be scary.
2: What are some things in your opinion, David, that are worth, I don't want to say fighting for, fighting is not going to resolve anything, but you know, there are some things you mentioned discussion and compromise. So there are some things, okay, this is, we'll find a compromise and maybe there are other things where it is so important to hold the line. Can you help us um, maybe quantify or give us some structure for looking at some of those things for having those discussions?
1: Yeah, I think each parent and each family needs to figure out where that line is but but there's some clear rules that I would advocate for all families and that's where you've got situations where you may have a fatality. It's hard to think of that it's hard to imagine our child dying, but it can and unfortunately it does happen, so where, where do we draw that line medications need to be locked up for toddlers poisons cleaning supplies fuels swimming pool gates need to be closed and locked every time drowning is actually the leading cause of death for children age one to four and swimming pools are a major risk factor in the yard you need to have it fenced and locked and closed up
2: because even if you think your kid respects the water your kid knows not to go close to the water and most of them do like we do teach those things you know just like bo is being taught feet first kids know those things and they may do it right 99 times Mm -hmm. but that one mistake can be so utterly devastating the risk far outweighs the benefit let's put it that way of, of not closing the gate of not having a gate
1: As kids get older, road traffic becomes a high risk. So you start to think about walking on the street, pedestrian behavior and bicycling behavior and skateboarding and rollerblades and and scooters and all the other wheeled instruments uh, where we need rules about where you can go, where you can't go. Are you old enough to handle traffic? And and of course, helmets. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we go into the teen years, then you start thinking about driving safety, okay? Distracted driving, phones in the glove compartment or in the trunk, away from drivers. Alcohol and drugs, driving sober, these sorts of rules. So those are lines that that I would mm-hmm. if I were a parent and I had a disagreement with my partner, I would draw the line and say, this is indisputable, I'm setting the line. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere there may be compromises. Mm-hmm. But when you've got possible fatalities, possible very serious injuries involved, I would say no negotiation. Mm
0: -hmm. So let's talk about teens and driving and alcohol. And what we know about boys is that when they are with their families, they make certain decisions, a little more safe, maybe. But when they're with their friends, the the decision making steps kind of change.
2: I want to underline that that holds true for males of a lot of ages. Like we're not just talking about teenagers. If you have a seven year old boy if you have an 11 year old boy, True. they are likely to make riskier decisions when surrounded by their peers than when surrounded by their parents. And this is something that I think there's. it's helpful to know that it's hard to know what to do with that information.
1: I agree. And that takes us back to the TAMS method. If okay. you've thought, if you've modeled and if you've shaped You're not gonna act when you're not there, right? They're with their peers, so there's no action. But your teaching, your modeling, and your shaping over the past weeks, months, and years has influenced your son to make the right decision. To be with their peers who who are drinking and driving and to say, you know what? I'm not gonna ride with you. I'm calling an Uber and my dad or my mom may yell at me i'm getting home safely and if i explain why they probably will be Mm -hmm. accepting Mm -hmm. you on the other hand have to say "Mm, maybe there's a little yelling but maybe there's also you know what you made the right decision i'm not happy you were out drinking but i'm also happy that you were willing to tell me that and you made the right decision and got home safely and we have to control ourselves as parents and that's not easy either and say oh my gosh my 17 year old was out drinking and drank too much. They got home safely, and I'm going to congratulate and thank them for that. And then maybe tomorrow we'll discuss the alcohol issue.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of the things I worry about specifically on this issue, I live in Wisconsin, David. If you have seen any stats of anything about Wisconsin, uh, you know that uh, drinking is a pretty big thing here. To the shock of nobody, we once again surpass all the other states, all of them. So this is a huge cultural thing here, and it's a challenge for me because there's there's what I say, and there's what I try and role model, and then there's the reality that my kids are living in a culture where, I mean... People drink at softball games. People drink at kids' baseball games. I'm not kidding you. People moved here from another state and they're like, are they seriously selling beer at 8 a.m. at this kids' baseball game? Oh. Yes. Yes, they are. And we didn't know that was weird until you came here and told us that. Wow. Yeah, Janet, that's a thing. That's wow. a thing. Not everywhere, but wow. I, I, I can tell you where you want your kids to play ball if you want cheap beer and when
0: i'm speechless so (laughs)
2: david we all live you know we have our family and that culture and then there's the larger culture which isn't always especially boys they get a lot of messaging about like let's do some as a woman i call them stupid things but they sort of get glamorized Mm
1: -hmm. how do we
2: talk about and help mitigate cultural influences
1: well we're not going to change culture People are going to be drinking beer at 8 a.m. at a little league baseball game for many generations, and I don't think that's going to change. And you know, I could talk about here in Alabama, people are going to go out hunting and taking risks, and and uh, you know, everywhere you are, there's a cultural thing, right? Yes, yes. And so we need to work with the culture we got, and we need to work with the culture we live in, and that our children live in, and we need to teach them to choose safety based on our teaching our actions our modeling and our shaping our tams method that they recognize you know what if people are going to drink at the little league game okay that's the way things are done in wisconsin but we got to get home safely Mm -hmm. and we got to drink in enough moderation that we're aware of what's going on and we don't embarrass ourselves and we don't trip over the, you know, uh, the baseball bats that were left in the, in the grass, right? The goal of parenting is to teach our children not to avoid risks. As I said at the, at the beginning, children grow by taking risks. Those risks are drinking beer at 8 a.m. at a baseball game or riding a roller coaster or driving three hours away to see a, a, a girlfriend they, they met at summer camp. Whatever it is, we need to teach them to do those things safely.
0: Well, there are so many ways to worry about our kids, aren't there? And when we come back after these messages from our sponsors, we are going to be talking about the influence of media and the messages that your son hears often.
2: Listeners, I know that you sometimes feel like your home is bursting with the boundless energy of your boys. Mine has been for a very long time. We want to tell you about Home Threads, where style meets the wild adventures of raising boys. At homethreads.com, you can find a collection of uh, furniture and home accessories designed to meet the needs of your growing boy family. They have everything from durable bunk beds to upscale gaming tables you can turn your home into an attractive, durable playground, believe it or not. Uh, Janet and I both love their baking dishes. Solid, beautiful, functional. Anything you need for your home, you can likely find on HomeThreads.com, and we have a discount code for you. Go to HomeThreads.com onboys You can get a code for 15% off your first order. Because every leap, laugh, and loud moment deserves a space that embraces the chaos with style. Home Threads, love where you live. Um, We've talked about so many other things. There's all kinds of messaging in our media. We live in it. We see it's the commercials. It's the music. It's the TV. It's what's online. It's what's on TikTok. All of that. There's a lot there that we don't necessarily want our kids exposed to, but this is the world. So let's use these opportunities to talk about these things. I mean, the upside air quotes, I've got all kinds of opportunities to talk about things that I see and choices. And this is what happens when people get DUIs. And this is this is somebody that was injured. These aren't pleasant conversations. Do my kids like hearing me talk about them? I can tell you absolutely guaranteed not, but they got to hear it. They got to hear it from somewhere.
1: They need to be taught. They need to be modeled. They need to be shaped. You know, the media is a, a great question. So we're doing research right now in my laboratory on on superheroes.
2: Ah. Excellent. Let's talk about that.
1: Superheroes do superhuman things. Right? Mm -hmm. They fly and they climb and they Mm -hmm. fight and they do all sorts of things that kids can't do. They don't even
0: get bruises afterwards, David. They don't. In fact,
1: they're usually portrayed as the hero.
0: Yes. And it doesn't show them taking their ibuprofen the next day (laughs) because they're so sore.
2: (laughs) And a lot of kids, I mean, Janet, your grandson, as he's growing up, right? There's a period where you're not entirely sure... I mean you don't really know the line between reality and fantasy my brothers for a while had my oldest son talked into the fact that he could fly Poor kid he like he ran Uh and he flapped his arms and he believed it he was too old for this too we won't go into that but David tell me about your research like what are you looking at and what are you seeing so far what do you think you might investigate
1: So the research, this research is focused on very young children, so ages three, four, five-year-olds, and what we're finding is that the media doesn't influence them, and that won't surprise you, and that they do, the children who love superheroes, who watch superheroes, who who wear superhero clothing, and have the lunchbox, and the cape, and and the toys, they take more risks when they play, and they sometimes pretend to be superheroes, and they pretend to fly, and they hurt themselves.
2: If you have a cape on, and I don't care if it's a purchased cape or if you just took your blankie and tied it around your neck or tucked it in your shirt, you are going to at some point jump off something right. to see what happens and to feel your cape flutter.
1: Yes. And so, what do we as parents do? We supervise. We safeguard. And so, if you've got jumping spots in your in your backyard, do you need to put mulch or something underneath it so that that jump of Superman Has a softer landing Mm -hmm. that would be safeguarding right
2: you know you said something there that that triggered uh, something for me if there are jumping spots in your yard one thing that parenting boys has taught me is that they see the world differently than i do Mm. they consider things jumping off spots that i never would have considered (laughs) i would think looking at my backyard Okay, fine. The picnic table, right? You know, the the bench of the picnic table, the top of the picnic table. Sure. They see things like the top of the playhouse, which (laughs) is, you know, 10 feet or more up in the air. What I am saying, parents, is this supervising your children and watching your children, observing your children also sort of teaches you what they see and where they look at. So, moms, I don't think you can entirely rely on what you think might be a safety hazard. Like you got to watch and sort of see how your specific children are interacting with the world as well.
1: Yes, I agree. And that might also lead to shaping and setting rules and saying, yes. you can jump from spot A or B or C, but spots D and F are off limits.
2: Right? Yeah. For instance, when the kids got older and they thought it would be a brilliant idea to move the trampoline which you know had a net around it and all that um to move it next to the playhouse and Uh jump from here to here this is
1: getting worse and worse (laughs) no
2: that is not okay the trampoline yes but no that you are not doing because at that point the risk was ratcheting up way too high
1: Mm mm kids brains are still developing to take it back to the science and that won't surprise you and their ability to judge that risk to judge that playhouse to trampoline to grass is just a bad idea it is not at the same level they don't have the same brain as we do even in their teen years their brain is nowhere near developed the recent research suggests it may not be till the early 20s that that an adult brain is kind of developed and so they are going to take risks and we do need to his parents and say think about what could happen here let's change your plan you can have fun you can take some risk you can jump like crazy on this safe trampoline but not from the playhouse to the trampoline yeah
2: i will be honest i invoked my kids were older remember they were teenagers at this point i invoked my liability insurance you know what? Like they don't want to hear me say no, but if I say, "Hey, I can't do this cuz I'm not going to have insurance on my house and my car anymore," for some reason that helped, that worked. Because when you say that kids' brains are not the same as ours, they're not, and that is exactly why so often like I will look at my guys and I'm like like how did you think that was going to turn out? How did you even add up that you thought that would be a good idea? Because to us adults, it seems blatantly obvious that this is probably not going to end well. Sometimes we have
0: to say no. And our kids are not going to like that. Yeah. Oh, well, it's that if-then thinking. They've got the if. If I do X, Y, Z, yay. They don't have the then yet.
2: Well, isn't there also, David, some research that, especially when they're with peers, and I believe boys more so than girls, they tend to overestimate the if positive potential more than the if negative potential.
1: So uh, for my dissertation research under, under my mentor, Jody Plummer, we set up little toys. So for example, there's a, a bookshelf uh, and you can raise it lower and higher and there's a little uh, rubber ducky on top of the bookshelf. Okay, children stand with their hands by their side, they look up at this, can they reach it or not? Ooh boy. All kids overestimate, right? Sure. Gender difference, boys more than girls, but not tremendously slow, actually, surprisingly. Uh, definite age differences, older kids are better than younger ones, but even college students overestimated what they could do. Guess what? More overestimation, more injuries in your history.
2: There's individual variation to this. Like Some kids are especially more prone to overestimating others uh, maybe may even underestimate their abilities.
1: Fairly underestimation, real, real cautious child, that does happen, Yeah. but there's a huge range in how much you overestimate. And there are many kids that do some, and some kids that are our risk takers, yeah. always bad, because they end up, they get through life, they might get hurt some, and we teach them to not get hurt as often, and what do they do in adulthood? They choose careers that involve some amount of risk. Their mm-hmm. personality leads them into things that, that may be, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, firefighters or or, um, or pilots, or, you know, I work with a lot of emergency room physicians. They like a lot of excitement in the emergency right? department. And They're so- crazy. Oh, I was who- a
2: nurse. I am not the emergency department kind of person. I'm a. let's get them up to the floor. You tell me what's wrong and I know what to to look out for. And then I had four boys. That was maybe a bad choice given how <laughs> I like
0: to handle risk. Uh-huh. But this is what happened. We need those people. We absolutely, I'm, I'm remembering we just had a incident here in Oregon at the mouth of the Columbia where it enters the Pacific Ocean. A man decided to steal a yacht, steal a yacht. So he's out on the Columbia bar, which is notorious for it's just like terrible. And he calls for help. And so there's a Coast Guard, of course, and this guy jumps out of a helicopter and is swimming to this boat in these rough seas and a huge wave comes and capsizes the boat. It's quite dramatic, but it's like we need We need people who thrive on that kind of adrenaline and love that kind of risk and it's risk but it's also risk with safety. You know, they're not just throwing this guy out in the ocean to swim. He's trained and a ton of training prepared. And I'm sure lots of risk assessment in went into that. So shout out to all of those people, male and female who do those risky occupations. And, you know, they were probably taking risks as kids because that's, their personality. You said something about, you know, the anxious child. I want to touch a little bit on the anxious parent. And, you know, mm-hmm. I can hear, you know, just imagine some of our listeners listening to some of these stories and feeling some anxiety and over worrying. What would you say to those parents who are probably likely moms, not to stereotype, but might be moms of boys?
1: would first say I feel for you. I was an anxious parent as well. We all have some anxiety. And I think I would then say remember your child needs to grow. Your son needs to grow up. And that's fun to watch. It's fun to be part of. And the best way to let your son grow up or your daughter grow up is to let them try things. Let them try things in a way you think they'll be safe on the monkey bars spot them. Crossing at first hold their hand and then as they get older, let them look at traffic and tell you, I think it's safe now, can I go? And you say, yes, you can go and you walk next to them. And then you work up to maybe you're on the other side of the street, a residential street to start with and a larger street as they grow older. And so you're working up step-by-step and you're pushing yourself to say, I can get over my anxiety by letting my child do things in a way I can protect them, but also let them learn, teach them, supervise them until they can learn to do things on their own, because they will. You're not going to protect them forever, right? They're going to be with peers starting in kindergarten, right? Yes. They'll be at school with peers. And so you need to work up and get them going.
2: That gradual release of responsibility that you're describing is key to so much of this, because we can, and we have talked about some general guidelines, some pretty good, hard and fast rules. Also, you have to look at, Your child. Every child is different in terms of their risk assessment, their personality, their physical and mental capabilities. Every parent is different. When you take this step by step, you watch your child, your child watches you. You gain some more confidence in your child's ability. Your child gains confidence in his ability. It's not like to do or not to do the monkey bars. We can do these things in steps and pieces as we build trust and confidence on both sides. David, your book is Raising Kids Who Choose Safety. Um, It is available online. Parents, it's a great resource to have around. And I think that this could be a really good way to spur some of these conversations with, say, grandparents, caregivers, I don't know, your spouse, if you're disagreeing about some of these things.
1: Yes, there's a chapter focused on your kids with other people like grandparents and babysitters because that raises anxiety
2: absolutely Mm -hmm. let your kids take risks risks are absolutely necessary for growth for enjoyment for life and teach and model how to safely take risks how to mitigate the odds of something bad happening and increase the chance of this being a positive experience david thank you so much for your work with children for making some time for us today I look forward to seeing the results of your superhero research.
1: Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today.